Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we ask that you would teach us more of your truth, that you would help us to know, receive, and share more of your love in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Shotgun, that's what my brothers and I used to yell on the way to the car when I was a kid. We were always angling for who's going to get the front seat, and that was the shotgun positions. We were, we were always going for that really, really hard. And that's something that we all kind of, I think, at some level entertain. Many years ago, Martin Luther King Jr. preached a sermon that was called uh, The Drum Major. And it was on this passage we just re- that Chris just read. And basically, part of that sermon, he said, we all want to be the drum major. We all want to be out in front of the band leading the deal. And that's, that's part of it. And that's what I want to look at today in part is that whole thing about how James and John and our passage today, they want this position of glory. And I want to unpack that. And I want to more than that, just unpack that. I want to talk about what Jesus's antidote is to that for all of us. Because I think, I think this is one of those things that applies to all of us, it's at least at some level, and what, what we do with this, right? And, you know, I want to start by thinking about, I was thinking about this the other day. I don't know how many of you guys think back about your elementary school teachers. Mine were awesome. I'm sure yours were too. But I had Mrs. Oxford, Mrs. Kratzig, Mrs. Kennedy, Mrs. Lau, Mrs. Skinner, and, and uh, Mrs. Starkey. They were all fantastic. And they all taught me this one thing really, really, they drove it in deep. There's no such thing as a dumb question. Did y'all get that? Like, there's no such thing as a dumb question. I'm not sure they were right. <laughs> I think today maybe James and John get a dumb question, or at least, at least a terribly insensitive question. Because today, like, the passage right before the one that we read a moment ago in the gospel is, is the third time in, in Mark's gospel where Jesus is doing what some people call the passion prediction. He's talking about what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And he, he just is telling them kind of as straight as he can. They're not able to hear it, but he's telling them, I'm going to arrive in Jerusalem. The religious authorities are going to arrest me. They're going to mock me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to kill me. And three days later, I'm going to rise again. And that's what, he's ju- that's what he's just told them. Like, that is what he's just told them. And then they come back and say, hey, Jesus, we got a question for you. Will you do whatever we say? Like, it's not only that they ask an insensitive question that seems to be so out of context, but they ask it like a bunch of kids. They're like coming to their mom and saying, Mom, will you say yes to whatever we ask? That's how they come to Jesus. Will you, will you say yes to whatever we ask? And Jesus is pretty cool about it. He doesn't go after him right away. He says, well, like, what, what are you thinking? And then they say, well, we want to sit at your left hand and your right hand and all this, and we want these positions of glory. And, you know, we're, we're going to, we'll go there in a minute, but this is, this is the, what's going on with all this. Like, they're, they're asking all this, and this is ultimately going to lead Jesus to this impromptu, I think, speech or, or talk about servanthood. And this transition is not clean like it's not it's like it's really abrupt like it's going along and then it's like Jesus like we're going to like here we go we're going to talk about servanthood and it just happens and I think it would sometimes when you read people who want to be really hard on the disciples in Mark they're called the duh disciples (laughs) before we throw a bunch of rocks on the duh disciples I think we need to own 
how often times we are in the same place. We want the corner office. We want the great title. I think about a church I worked at once where there was no president, president in the church, what? But there was a person who said, I want to be hired as the vice president of whatever because they were worrying about their resume for the next position, Wh whatever. Like we're all that, w I'm not throwing stones at that person, we're all that way. We want the corner office, we want the great title, we want the thing, what, I think we're all that way. So we don't want to throw stones at JJ, today, I mean at James and John today, but, but they, that's where they are and that's where we are. And let's listen to where Jesus goes with this, how he begins to answer them and talk to them about what's going on with this. And we get to this place where Jesus begins to answer them and he says to them, like, I don't, A, I don't think you really know what you're saying, but are you really ready to drink this cup that I have? That's what he asked them. And when in the New Testament, when you hear the word cup, it usually means something about life or death. And I don't think they get that. And I don't think they get this. Like they're, having the, they're walking down the road with Jesus on this thing. And I don't think they are mindful that there's like 10 people behind them all listening to this whole conversation. They're like, what? Are you asking to be like shotgun? Like we want that seat too or whatever else it is. And Jesus is going to speak into that. He wants to begin to answer them with that. And, and he's not only going to answer them, but he's going to give an antidote to it. And I think for us in our competitive world, I think it has, at least I should stop and say like many sermons I'm preaching to myself and I hope you all get something out of it. But um, Jesus begins to say to them, he launches into this um, whole notion about service. And I, I want to kind of repeat the translation of it here for a second. He makes it crystal clear to them how they should perceive all this. I'm going to read a different version from what Chris read. This is the message translation of what he says. He says, when the other 10 heard of this conversation, they lost their tempers with James and John. We, I could make it more extravagant, but I won't. Jesus got them together to settle things down. You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, he said. And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That's what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served and then to give away his life in exchange for the many who are held in hostage. He's saying to them that real greatness, real greatness comes from service. That's not something we hear often. The real greatness comes from service. I think we could stop right there. I mean, I've got more, but we could stop right there. Real greatness comes from service, learning how to serve those coming out of prison, learning all the different ways that we can serve different people. And he says to them, I mean, I think we, we can begin to think about this and how we live out our lives. We're, I'm not, I mean, I've done a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of mis foreign mission trips. I don't think we're even talking, we're not talking about like, oh, I'm gonna go on a foreign mission trip. Those are great and they're good. I wonder about wherever you are, in your neighborhood, in your work, in your place, how can you serve others? That's part of what Jesus is saying in all this. And I think there are so many benefits to this when, when we do this. I think 
I think we get a voice that we wouldn't have. When, we're, when we lean into service the way Jesus teaches it, we get a voice. I think about this often. I've got this one friend of mine who's been a friend since college. And um, <laughs> I won't go into all the details of his journey, but he was a religion major at Baylor when I first met him. And he went on to become an atheist. I think he's maybe an agnostic now. But part of what holds him back is he said he's, he's read the scriptures many, many times. And he's like, Jesus calls us to this tremendous place of service. And I don't see any of his fo followers doing that faithfully. And he struggles with that delta, that difference. And I think it's a reminder to me, it's a, it's a, it's a call to me to think about how are we failing in living out what Jesus really calls us to. This expression of faith that we live today, how deep is it? Like, like look at what Jesus does, like the things he says, like not just today, but like the way he goes for the marginalized, the way he gives all in, the way he doesn't care about money, the way he talks about money, all, like all the different stuff he does. Where are we on that? I'm not going to get all righteous on that, but I'm just, it's things to meditate on and think about with where we are on all that. And I think along with that, we think about how there are so many benefits. So, so I think, let me, let me just stop and say, I think Jesus' antidote to this notion of wanting to be the place of honor, the left and the right, the calling the shotgun in his kingdom or whatever else it is, Jesus' antidote to that is to say, serve. Like find somebody to serve as a servant. Not trying to get something out of it, but to serve. That's his antidote that he gives us. And I think we begin to ask, how do we do that? What's that about? All those different kinds of things. But there are so many benefits to us doing it. We don't do it enough, but when we do it, it brings us together as a people. I mean, I've done, as I said, lots of different forms of ministry. When people lean into it, when people get that Jesus calls you to something higher than where you are, you become unified as you do it in ways you don't know otherwise. Like you become, you become unified in all of this. And I think part of that too is wherever you are, whatever neighborhood you live in, if you'll find people to serve, God will bring some unity and some, something around him. Like they will experience something of his love. It will call people together. And, I'm, and again, I'm not talking for mission trips. Those are great. I'm just asking about who in your neighborhood is a widow that needs somebody to look in on them or all the different ways in which we encounter uh, brokenness and that we, that we can lean into. We have to be ready to step up and serve. We've got to be ready to do those kinds of things. I, I think as we lean into that, we learn how much we need each other. I think about how first Peter in his fourth chapter, he says, each one should use whatever gifts he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Whatever gifts you have, we use them to, to serve one another. And I'll say more on this in a minute. Some of you have gifts of hospitality. We talked about that back in August. Some of you have got get all you have all kinds of gifts. Some of you even have gifts of making money, which we'll come back to as well. But there are all kinds of gifts that God gives that are meant to be for his kingdom and how we use them. And I was thinking about this, but I still think the question to ask is, how do you serve in this way wherever you are? I know a person who walks a couple miles every morning. And along the way, they, they figured out that there was this old guy who lived on the top of a hill 
who was too old to go down it to get his newspaper very well, who just figured out, I'm going to start taking his newspaper up in the mornings. Connection, love, service. Or I know another person right now, it's a woman going through a divorce, and her husband's gone now and all this, and her neighbors have surrounded her to teach her how to use the mower and the weed eater and, all, and to support her. And just, I mean, more than that, those are little things, but to support her and what she's going through. How many people in your neighborhood do you know, do you look for what their needs are? And I'm not talking about doing this as just a way to, to, to get them to church, whatever, but I'm just talking, like, even if they never come to church, just serving, just serving the way Jesus would, trying to find ways, what are their needs, how do we serve it? Because there's so many benefits they receive, you receive. There are all kinds of ways in which this matters, and I'm going to say more about that. But I think also along with that, as we lean into the service that way, this is antidote to our ambitions where we find real success. We're imitating Jesus. And Jesus makes it like super clear that he came to be a servant. He didn't come to be served. That's what he says today. There are lots of different spiritual teachers who've, who've said the only way you can really learn is by seeing an, a true example. Like getting up and talking is nothing. What are you doing? I think there's all kinds of things that are that way. I think that if we want to make an example in the world as Christians, we just got to serve. We got to draw on Jesus's heart of service and on his love and his grace and his mercy. But we got to go into all these places. And there are all these extravagant ones, like the lowest, the low, the marginalized. We got to go to those places. We have to go to those places. But a lot of it's just your neighbor next door. The person who's the widow, the person that's through the divorce, the young couple that needs a, a, a healthy relationship to say, come and endure. You'll get through this. Here's what you need to do, how you make it, all these different kinds of things. And I think Jesus in John 13 is making that example. And I've said this before, but like, I, we, I don't think we can dwell enough on what he did in, in John 13, where it's this, he's headed in the home stretch. It's his final supper. And I think there are lots of ways we can read this, right? But we get to this place where Jesus has them all for the Passover meal. They all get there and they think, oh, this is a little odd. There's not the little young boy servant washing our feet. There's none of this. So they all get together. And just like today, they get to this place where they all start talking about who's the greatest. You know, the son, you know, there people are talking about. Peter's like, oh, I got, I called out who Jesus was right on the road. Remember how good he said I was? I'm going to build the church around me, all this, whatever. Or the sons of Zebedee are saying like, well, we're the sons of thunder. We've done all these great things too. They're all talking about who's greatest and all this. And then I wonder if this was a big show or not. But at some point they look out of the corner of their eye and Jesus is now on the floor washing their feet and think about their dirty feet and sandals, dust, cracks, whatever it is, probably fungus, all the stuff, <laughs> whatever it is. Jesus is, is down there washing those feet and, and then he tells them, like, I'm, I'm doing, I like, this is like, I know this is slave work, but I'm doing this because I want you to get it. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and I'm calling you as my followers to be that way and to teach people to be that way. And the thing about it is, it's not glorious. Like, I wish there was some way I could say this. Like, I mean, I do think there's great benefits in it, and I'll say more about that in a minute. But serving like this way is not glorious because when you're serting from a position of strength, you're like, oh, I'm going to pick my opportunity. 
I'm going to pick my time. I'm going to pick what I'm doing. But when you lean yourself in, a, in servanthood, you're giving that up that control. I want you to think about that for a minute. Richard Foster um, talks about this. He talks about how there's a difference. This is a quote. There's a difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. When I choose to serve, I retain control about whom I serve, when I serve. But when you choose to be a servant, I've given up all rights and all control. When you tell Jesus, I want to be a servant, he may take you to some place you don't want to go. You'll be blessed, I promise you, but it may be someplace you wouldn't otherwise go. All these kinds of different activities and what we do with it. And I think, too, when we do that, um, when we're, we're mindful about how this changes us. When you lean into anything Jesus does, it's going to change you because you're going to come closer to the way Jesus lives. And it's not just about, like, I, I, what I don't want to do, this, like Paul talks about in Corinthians, this is another sermon, I'm not going there, but Paul talks about how he wants you to be a joyful giver. And I've heard some pastors are super respect saying, don't, don't give a dime if you don't have joy in it. And I think there's a real sense in which if you, I'm not telling you to go be a servant in some obligatory way because I think it'll be sour. I'm saying lean into this life-giving thing that Jesus calls us to of serving because if you lean into that, you'll find life and you'll find stuff that feeds you and strengthens you in what you do. If you can learn to serve and love, you'll find a whole different way. Yesterday we did a, a funeral for one of our uh, strong leaders here in the church. And I think the one of the things that was fascinating to me, I preached it, I should also add, but one of the things that was fascinating to me is talking to his widow is he, the guy was a president of a company, did all these great things, but there was a moment after he went to a retreat where he, he went to the next level of giving himself to Christ. And she talks about after that how he came to a place where he said, I'm not looking to be a leader, I'm looking to be a servant. And what a difference it made in his life from that place forward. And I don't know, it's a, I, this is one of those messy areas because I think God calls us to be leaders. I think he gifts people as leaders. But I think he also calls all of us to be servants. So it's not in either or. kind of was in, in this other case, but it's like we're called to be in that place. Jesus calls us to serve in our neighborhoods. And there are all kinds of opportunities to go there. There are children who don't have parents, don't have a dad, or don't have a mom. There are latchkey kids that need someone to throw the ball with them. There is the widow next door that needs somebody to check in on them. There are all kinds of different ways that we can serve, and we got to think about this. And we think how Jesus says in Matthew 25, he reminds us that, that we encounter Christ in many of these places. He says when you've done it to the least of these, you've encountered him. He was there. But I think we find him in all the different avenues that we serve. I've never met anybody who's, I've never in my life met anybody who's leaned into service who said, oh, well, I didn't get anything out of that. I didn't encounter Christ some way in that. When people go in to serve, they encounter Christ in one way or the other. And I want to say um, we're in stewardship season right now, and we're talking about giftedness. And I want to say this also applies to how we give. Because I think the church itself, like, okay, we're, I've been talking about individuals the whole time, but now I want to talk about the church. We, the church, are called to be this light in the world. 
we're called to represent hope and grace and love and all these things in the church. And part of that is we got to be funded to do that. And God calls us to pray and think about it, not only to stop gripping our possessions, but so the church can serve in all these different kinds of ways. And there are, there are some of you in here who have the spiritual, I mean, you have a gift. You may not think about it in these terms, but you have a gift of making money. And it's not just for you. It's for God and for his kingdom. And he's offering you this life to give. But all of us are called to do it. And, you know, there are some kind of geek fantasies that clergy sometimes have. One of those geek clergy uh, fantasies I have is what would it be like to be in a church where everybody gave a tithe? How much ministry would take place? How many evangelism things? How many service things? How many, what would the witness be of a church that was on fire where everybody, everybody tithed? What would that be like? That's a fantasy. But I just want to encourage you in this season to pray about it. Like, what, is that what we're called to? I kind of think it is. I'm working hard on that. I'm, trust me, I'm not throwing judgment because I'm not perfect on that either. But what would it be? I think that's part of what we ask as we think about service in this all as well. I want to encourage you to pray about that. I also want to encourage you to think local. Who is it in your neighborhood that you could minister to this coming week? All the different kinds of ways. I read in the last week about a, a pastor, and, I, and my conviction is you, like this is one of those things that's not a hard sell. I'm going to tell you the honest truth. I do not think I'm giving you a hard sell. If you go serve somebody in your neighborhood, you will be blessed. I 100% believe that. I'm not talking prosperity doctrine. I'm just talking about what God will do in your heart. If you serve somebody, you will be blessed. In the last week, I read a pastor who was reflecting on some of his time in ministry, and he talked about visiting with his, he had a number of different stories, but this one caught me. He was talking about being in the waiting room in a hospital for an eight, with an 89-year-old woman her 90-something-year-old husband was being operated on, and she was sharing stories about him, probably in her anxiety. But one of the stories he told, which, which I thought was amazing, was this, the guy was a farmer, like in one of the, one of the uh, middle states of the United States. And, and she told him the story about this young man in, in town who was having lots of problems, lots of issues, to the point that he eventually attempted to take his life. And when, when he came back from the hospital, her husband said, that guy's going to have, gonna need, he's going to be lonely in his house. He's going to need a lot of help. And so for the next six months, that guy was a retired farmer. For the next six months, every single day at lunch, he brought him lunch. And he said a lot of times he just sat there. He didn't say anything. He just sat there, had lunch with him. And this young man came back to say he would do anything for this farmer. Because in the end, he knew not only did that guy give him this six months of time with him, but, he, but maybe he saved his life. And how rich that is for both of them. How many places we want to call shotgun, and Jesus wants to call us into service. And I think it's the antidote, and I think it's the, it's the way to blessing. And I want to encourage you to think and pray about that this week, because I think that is the way. There's so many blessings, if we don't do it, we're going to walk right by it. Let's pray. Lord, we remember your words. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That's what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve and not be served, 
Lord, help us. Help us all. Help me. Help, help us to serve one another, drawing upon your love, your grace, and your mercy. Help us to be a light in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.